Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcast. Today we'll be hearing from Elizabeth Manasank from MD Anderson Cancer Centre in Houston, US and Taxiarchis Corellis from Mayo Clinic, Rochester, US. I'm Elizabeth Manasank. I treat patients with multiple myeloma and their precursor diseases. And we're here to talk today about the immune changes and immune dysregulation characterization that has been happening lately in the field of myeloma, specifically what has been presented in the last ASH meeting, the annual Society of Hematology uh, meeting that we have every year in December. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the findings that we had in our study where we studied patients with monoclonal gammopathy of unknown significance and smoldering multiple myeloma and some of the changes that can happen in the immune system that actually seem to be involved in the progression to multiple myeloma. And I think we have here also uh, our colleague, Mr. Uh, Dr. Tarsiakis Kurelis, and I don't know if he wa- can. You want to introduce yourself? Yes, a little yes. Bit? Sorry with the difficult uh, Greek name. Uh, yeah. So uh, my name is Tax Kurelis. I'm an assistant professor at the Mayo Clinic. I'm also a clinician uh, treating uh, multiple myeloma and other uh, rare dysproteinemias. And yeah, I'm happy to be part of this. So if you are okay with this, I'm going to start talking a little bit about uh, some of the findings that we had, and I've been very interesting to know some of your thoughts. So as you know, we have been doing at MD Anderson a study where we have prospectively been following patients with monoclonal gammopathies, specifically MGAS and smoldering myeloma, and uh, taking samples for research from blood and bone marrow, and then we've been specifically analyzing them for uh, DNA sequencing and also RNA sequencing and flow cytometry. And we have been looking at the changes both in the myeloma cells and also in the microenvironment cells, both in terms of markers in the immune system that seem changed in those patients that progressed, and also in terms of immune cell composition. And in our study so far, uh, we accrued about uh, 200 patients, and we presented the first preliminary analysis of the first 100 patients at this last ASH. And of these patients, we had 17% of the, uh, all the smoldering patients uh, progressing to multiple myeloma. And we saw that uh, increased PDL1, PDL2, and HLAG uh, were seen in the patients uh, at, uh, at basically at progression when compared to baseline in those patients that progress, in these 17% of patients that progress. And this just goes along with uh, decreased immune surveillance of the tumor in the immune microenvironment. I would like to know do you think this is surprising to you, or do you think this goes along with everything? else, or other theories, uh, other publications uh, in, in precursor disease. Yeah, so, and again, you know, the, the major disclosure here, right, before I start is that, um, you know, I'm also a clinician, so I'll, I'll, I'll probably give a, a very sort of rudimentary, you know, perspective of uh, a, a clinician, how, which, however, just kind of maybe setting aside, uh, setting aside you know, um, the, the, you know, T-cell biology, I think it's, uh, it's what important to maybe can we use, you know, knowledge about the immune microenvironment to, you know, in precursor diseases to say, okay, can we predict some of the, you know, high-risk precursors versus not? Essentially, this is what, you know, we care about. And, and even more importantly, as a second step, can we manipulate this, you know, with, you know, checkpoint inhibition or whatever to uh, maybe alter the natural history of the disease? So, you know, I think... Um, 
the, the, there are some uh, very good papers using single cell RNA seq uh, from you know the the Gobriel group suggesting that there's, there's certainly you know some T cell uh, dysfunction going on in uh, in patients with some of the precursor diseases that progress from the MORI group. Um, it sounds like the, the two big uh, categories that uh, are being looked at is, um, you know, T-cell exhaustion, which they certainly could be, uh, you know, consistent with what you found. So, you know, PD-1 is a classic, you know, inhibition, I'm sorry, check, checkpoint molecule. Other ones that are being looked at like digit um, um, uh, uh, and lag uh, may, may also be important. Um, so that, that, you know, that does make sense. I mean, another sort of, um, uh, um, aspect, I guess, of the um, of this problem is T cell um, senescence or terminal differentiation. I think that uh, also some of these papers have shown that uh, many of these precursors that have worse outcomes, so they progress better, might have they progress in at higher age, I should say, may have uh, um, you know more terminally differentiated T cells. And it's not 100% clear in my mind, you know, how I guess, you know, exhaustion and terminal differentiation, how they overlap, how they are different, but uh, there's very clear signals of, um, you know, dysfunction in the T cell compartment in, in precursor diseases and even in, in later stages. Um, so that makes sense, yes, is the short answer. So yes, I completely agree with this. Definitely there's um, dysfunction in, a lot of the immune cells, and also not not just that, but even the the myeloma cells that regulate and downregulate certain um, checkpoint inhibitors that also um, tend to uh, corroborate this decreased uh, immune surveillance. And I think that this is very important. For example, one of the other things that we found is that there's a correlation with the expression of certain genes in doing bulk RNA sequencing of them microenvironment cells, including um, certain checkpoint inhibitors that could be targeted for treatment. So obviously, yes, um, these are very uh, translational studies that should uh, give us a guide on what new antibodies to use or combine for new immunotherapies. I believe that there is definitely a subset of patients with a smoldering myeloma that can respond very well to immunotherapies and not just the CD38 antibodies, but um, other things such as PD-1 inhibitors and perhaps um, other antibodies, uh, digit antibodies, like 3 antibodies and so on. And these are things that are remain to be seen. But certainly there are differences in the expression, in the gene expression of uh, the genes, uh, of LAC3, B7H3, so PDL1, PD1, C27. So a lot of these um, this markers that we know are very important for uh, immune signaling in the microenvironment. And um, it is, so it's not just the T cells, the T cells are super important and it is true. And we, in our uh, study also found that the, the patients that seem to progress had more exhausted T cells and, they also had um, lower numbers of just the, you know, overall lower numbers of, of T cells, CD8 T cells, resting and activated NK cells, 
and activated dendritic cells and more macrophages, for example. And so um, these are differences that could be targeted for therapeutic options. They could also be targeted for uh, to do a more personalized um, approach into what is the risk of progression in a certain patient. We all, you know, we all know that the current models, you know, they're they're okay. They're not terrible. Um, they can predict quite well, I think, in most patients, the risk of predict the risk of progression. But the, there are some patients that escape those models. Some patients that they should be progressing and are not progressing, and some patients that should not be progressing and they're progressing based on those models. And so um, I think that uh, studying the biology, including the myeloma cell biology, and then the microenvironment biology, particularly focusing on the changes in the immune system, could really give some more uh, variables that would be important to characterize some of these patients that sometimes escape the models. And I don't know if you have the same thought. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. I mean, I think, you know, uh, everybody in myeloma knows that so far all the risk stratification models have been um, heavily focused on plasma cell biology, right? Revised ISS, what have you been using? You know, uh, just general markers of sickness, like albumin, or proliferation like LVH, better do microglobulin. More recently, it's been fish, fish, fish. And all of this is just very plasma cell-centered, but you know, uh, there's clearly many, many gaps. I mean, in the precursor diseases, you know, there's several different uh, uh, clinical and laboratory prognostication models that you know, they're far from perfect, as I totally agree. And also, um, in myeloma itself, after it develops, especially with the, with the advent of these novel immunotherapies, where where they heavily kind of rely on the immune microenvironment to work, right? I mean, the monoclonal antibodies, the bites, the, uh, the CAR-Ts, um, they, they really need like a healthy immune microenvironment so they can kind of restore immune surveillance. So yeah, the plasma cell clone is definitely, you know, important, but um, I think that we can get more information both prognostically and, you know, hopefully ideally down the road, you know, therapeutically, um, if we start understanding things a little bit better. So and in the same vein, I mean, there are other uh, very nice, um, I guess, worth uh, uh, efforts worth mentioning, like the immunocell study from the Spanish group, where they, you know, they analyzed several patients. They always have huge numbers and they do nice flow studies. Um, the, um, and they, they did you know, some of, I made some notes when I was looking at this, but as now is more like a, than a month old. So I apologize if I don't remember all the details, but they did find significant uh, changes um, uh, between say peripheral blood and bone marrow. So they emphasized that, yeah, you know what? Peripheral blood is important, but we also need to actually figure out what happens right around the tumor. So getting bone marrow samples is important. Um, and even though they had small numbers, I have here in my notes about seven patients, they did find some significant changes in patients that had pair samples, uh, a diagnosis of their precursor disease and progression to myeloma, suggesting that, you know, there's significant um, immune microenvironment changes that may, I mean, correlate or contribute, who knows, to, um, to disease progression. So yeah, yeah. So hopefully the future is going to be a, a much more, um, um, hopefully, you know, complicated, which is, it's okay to, we don't have to, you know, simplify our models down to, you know, easy things always, especially with the computational tools we have available now. Um, uh, we have, you know, disease biology is complex, so we might as well embrace this, this complexity and, 
and try and figure out how we can use it to, um, to benefit patients a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice to hear you saying uh, how complex the biology, it's very, the, compl the complexity of myeloma, the biological complexity of myeloma is astounding. This is my, you know, and uh, for those of you that may not be so familiarized with myeloma, right, myeloma is a disease that can have many different subtypes and oftentimes the subtypes are characterized by many different individual changes. It's not like having, uh, you know, for example, patients with Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia is a low-grade lymphoma where a lot of the patients have certain mutations. And that's myeloma is not like that. There is not just one recurrent mutation that we find in all patients, but patients are very the biology, the, there's a lot of biological complexity in these patients. And so it's very interesting, but I believe that uh, we have, we know so much. I mean, I think that five years ago, um, when we were asking these questions, does the immune microenvironment influence how patients progress to multiple myeloma? We uh, thought that it does, that it does, but um, we have come a long way. I mean, from just thinking that it does to actually uh, showing it in patient samples through uh, sequencing and flow cytometry and other tools and actually pointing out what are the markers and at least having some initial results. The, I think that these are very important findings. And I also believe the the future of the treatment, at least the, the you know, myeloma is going to be immunotherapy. And the precursor stages, um, I think immunotherapy is especially important. Um, you may uh, you may be aware of this or not, but you know uh, we treated 13 patients with uh, pembrolizumab, which is a, a PD-1 antibody, um, in 2017. So it's been a few years, and of these 13 patients, there was a patient that actually had basically very high risk smoldering myeloma. I mean, she had 50% plasma cells in the core biopsy, and um, had, uh, you know, very high levels of proteins, paraproteins in the blood, and had gene expression profiling, um, GP70 um, done, and that was high risk. And she had deletion 17P in fish. So she was a, someone that, you know, very bad clinical case, and she got, uh, you know, three doses of pembrolizumab and went into a complete remission, and she's still in complete remission. So it was just three doses of pembrolizumab. And so this woman, when we analyzed her microenvironment, her microenvironment was primed to attack myeloma. And when we gave the pembrolizumab, um, her immune system just killed it. It just completely destroyed the myeloma. It hasn't come back. And so I think that, you know, there's definitely a subset of patients where you could have these extraordinary uh, responses with immunotherapy. And then a lot of the patients can also have um, very good sustained responses to other types of antibodies. And we have a very big program looking at immunotherapeutics in uh, precursors of myeloma. We have a new antigen vaccine that we've been doing for the last uh, couple of years. We have uh, treatment with CD30 antibodies. We are uh, trying to uh, get approved a, a treatment as well um, through the Food and Drug Administration to start a study with a BCMA antibody drug conjugate. So we are focusing a lot on, on antibodies and of course, um, T-cell therapies um, or therapies that intervene through the T-cells like bites and also um, CAR T-cells should also be interesting in this uh, space. I don't know. If, uh, if what your thoughts are on bites and CAR T in 
in the precursor stage of myeloma or high risk smoldering myeloma compared to, you know, the therapies that are right now on clinical trials. That, you know, I tend to be a little bit conservative when it comes to precursor diseases, Uh you know, just because they are precursor (laughs) diseases, patients are asymptomatic. So, you know, do no harm is important. So, you know, it makes sense to use, you know, maybe single agent, you know, Revlimid and stuff. Although I know these are not great options either. So that's another whole sort of can of worms that we might not have time to discuss now. So, you know, CAR T-cells, I am a little bit hesitant, I guess, before we can see a bit more uh, data in uh, less heavily criteria myeloma patients. And, you know, in the end, it'll have to be a randomized trial showing something definitive. Um, but, you know, the, the opposite, uh, I guess, uh, again, part of this coin is that, you know, smoldering myeloma is when you probably have the best chance of maybe achieving like the best uh, and lengthiest remission or maybe even, you know, cure, although that's always... You could yeah, cure it. That's yeah, always kind of... You could cure it. I'm scared to kind of mention the, the C word, you know, but uh, um, yeah. The word, yeah, but it's possible. We have to, I think that the goal in these precursor stages is always to cure. Um, and I think that with some of these new immunological therapies, it's it may be possible, at least for a fraction of patients, you know, we already cure some myeloma patients that, or at least functionally cure where the myeloma doesn't come back. So I think that um, it's entirely possible to, 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 to cure precursor stages of myeloma. Um, and we can, we have a real opportunity to design studies right now that could really change the future of these patients in the next uh, five to 10 years. Yeah. And going back to your point, actually, you know, what's important using these novel, you know, single cell immune profiling approaches is perhaps to identify better predictive biomarkers, right? Because, okay, yeah, maybe immune approach X, Y, and Z might not be for everybody, but there is clearly a subset of patients that will benefit. Yes, I I completely agree. And we are... um... We're doing uh, now, all, all these patients on the study are actually, instead of doing bulk sequencing, we're doing now single cell sequencing. So I'm really excited to get those results and to look at them some point later this year. If you want to spend the last seven minutes maybe talking about some of the, uh, I guess, relapsed uh, studies, I mean, I can talk a little bit about what we did and then maybe a couple of other abstracts that uh, drew my attention, um, unless there's anything else. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. So, you know, I guess, you know, what we did was um, we, the, the idea is, and I worked with this with the, uh, a very hardworking and intelligent fellow, Dr. Alisa Visram. She was, uh, you know, she, she got this done in like no time. So kudos to her. Uh, and she was initially invited to, um, to come and present here, but she said, no, I think you should go. So that was nice of her. But anyways, um, what Alisa did is we collected uh, we found patients in our biobank um, with newly diagnosed myeloma, relapsed, but non-triple refractory myeloma, and then triple refractory myeloma. And triple refractory is, you know, refractory to an image, a protesome inhibitor, and CD38 antibody. And we say, okay, let's examine the major components of, um, of the tumor ecosystem. So we did RNA-seq, just bulk RNA-seq of the uh, malignant clone, and we did um, Luminex using um, a 65 plex, so pretty comprehensive sort of yeah, um, cytokine profiling uh, of, to, to examine the cellular uh, immune microenvironment. And these are all bone marrow samples. And then we did Cytof using 37 uh, antibodies, mostly T cell, B cell, NK cell focused, to be honest. We didn't really look at the, the myelin compartment for various reasons. Uh, 
to, to look at their cellular immune microenvironment. And, and what we found uh, is that major patterns that arose in the cellular immune microenvironment separated, they, they kind of clumped the newly diagnosed and the non-triple refractory, but still relapsed patients together. For some reason, these uh, newly diagnosed and relapsed patients still looked way more similar to each other compared to the, the triple refractory patients, which, you know, kind of makes sense because there are two map target CD38, like, you know, reshapes things significantly, knocks down a lot of CD38 positive cells. So that did make sense. Um, and what we noticed is that um, the more heavily pretreated patients, and I have to say, I don't want to blame daratumumab by any means because the, the triple refractory patients <laughs> were just more heavily pretreated overall, right? Um, so, you know, so that's, that's, that might be just a, a non-specific effect of just getting more and more therapies. But anyways, these more heavily pretreated cells have a, had a very um, sort of unhealthy T-cell compartment. And um, what do I mean by that? So they're, they're naive T-cell and early memory T-cell pool shrunk and they're more terminally differentiated. Some call these cells immune senescent T cells uh, uh, really expanded. Uh, we didn't find any cytokine differences. Who knows why? Uh, the, the, the sample number was not huge. I think we had about 39 patients who were limited by, you know, cost, sample availability, all these things. These are expensive assays to do too. Uh, but, the, you know, the common thread was that indeed, you know, um, the, the early relapse and the newly diagnosed myeloma state just was just had healthier T cells, like more early memory T cells, more naive T cells. And now, uh, why is that important? That's important because many um, many studies in other lymphoid malignancies and and actually this ash even in myeloma have clearly shown that um, the more of these terminally differentiated immune senescent T cells you have, the worse you respond to T cell based immunotherapy such as CAR T cells and bispecifics. So, um, and on the other hand, when you look at the um, malignant clone, you know, not surprisingly, we found that these are way more proliferative malignant clones. So they had very classic pathways like MYC that was upregulated, like which makes sense, or um, other um, mitotic pathways being upregulated. So that all makes sense. But also what happened is they had several pathways um, downregulated that were kind of interesting. So, you know, all the interferon signaling pathways were down. So interferon is a major sort of immune surveillance Two more immune surveillance molecules. So it suggests that these clones are going to be less likely to be affected by, you know, immune surveillance that's interferon mediated. They also had downregulated several signaling pathways that are traditionally thought to be trophic to myeloma, like IL-6, TGF, things like that. So which means that even though these are important in, you know, earlier stages and precursor stages, once you get there, these myeloma cells don't really care about, you know, IL-6 or TGF and their immune microenvironment. Their goal their own way, which poses a problem because, yeah, we all know that the earlier you use any kind of therapy, the better it's going to work, right? But specifically for bites and, and CAR-Ts where, yeah, clonal biology is important, but they also depend, at least for the most part, on your own T-cells to kind of do the trick. You shouldn't be waiting. Yeah, you shouldn't be waiting. You know, there's some exceptions, allogeneic CAR T cells and stuff like that. But you probably are better off not waiting so long until you, you know, uh, deploy them, or at least until you for CAR T cells until you collect people's T cells to use them. And that's been shown with from other groups. So that's the main take-on point. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and there's been no, no, no. This is a great, a great study. I really like it. Um, 
how also, you know, identify some markers that could be targeted later on to rescue some patients to respond to immune therapies. But it's just, I mean, it's just the true. I mean, the in myeloma, uh, the, the T cells, you know, they get exhausted and, you know, they have the patients have decreased numbers of T cells and they don't function as well. And that's just, you know, that that's been that's just you know, it's been seen again and again. And um, I think it's it's going to be very important, you know, for all the CAR T cell therapies to collect T cells early on in these patients. And you, I mean, that's a that's just a very, very important point of, of these therapies. And then allogeneic uh, T cells, I mean, it's another very important cell and NK cells. Yep. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, this, you, this is a very nice study, uh, what you did using, you know, samples from your, from your tissue bank. And, um, you know, if you want to collaborate anytime, I mean, yes, <laughs> happy to collaborate. This is very interesting. We have a, a we have a, a large tissue bank um, that was established by Dr. Robert Orlowski, um, you know, a few yeah. years ago. And so we have a large tissue bank with samples that could be used. And um, the unfortunate thing is we cannot do single cell sequencing on, on those stored samples, but we can do a lot of other things such as, you know, um, the studies that you've been doing and also, you know, all the genetic studies, um, gene expression, RNA-seq and so on. Would you Yes, yes, doing? of course. Happy all to, right. Yeah. So do you have uh, any anything else um, that you would like to describe or any final comments or anything? No, I think that, yeah, there were many interesting abstracts, you know, um, there's probably not enough time to discuss all of them. So uh, once, once, so I mentioned the immunocell study in the last few seconds we have left, you know, uh, uh, the paper 719 I have here from Dr. Blake, University of Calgary, that did the uh, site seek of T cells uh, of patients that are going BCMA and CAR Ts. That's definitely worth checking out. Um, uh, Dr. Mertz from Roswell Park had a, a paper ID 722. I'm just going to mention papers, I guess, for people to look up, and now hopefully they'll still be available. But I'm really eager to. Um, you know, see the, the, the final manuscript on these because they were pretty cool uh, studies. But, you know, there's too many things to discuss. I think that, you know, the immune microenvironment, as you correctly pointed out, I think it should start being incorporated in prognostic studies and um, uh, early in the disease and later on. So it's just a very exciting new field and I'm eager to see where it ends up. Well, it was great talking to you. I hope we keep the conversation going <laughs> with all the new data, I'm sure, coming out at ASCO later, later this bet. year. Yes, it was great talking to you too. Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support.